welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and we are moving on to pick number two. Officially have tapped into draft day. We'll see if there are any Woj bombs while the pod is going on. But I want to talk about the prize possession for the Thunder at pick number two. The top prospects on the board, Jabari Smith. Chet Holmgren, Paulo Bancaro, Jaden Ivey, how I view them talent-wise, kind of a quick evaluation on those four, and then how they rank in terms of fit with the Oklahoma City Thunder roster. And to top it all off, guys, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. Guys, this is the fourth pod of the night i've been going at it as you guys know i've been working on my draft day guide for the last week or so so i had some time i need to cover up on last pod came on friday and then i got to work on my draft day guide it's twelve thousand words there's over 25 different scouting evaluations on there talking about guys such as michich the financial situation and if okc could actually trade up in this draft but I'm also talking about some of the picks and one of those would be pick number two for OKC this is their best pick in franchise history if you want to cross over into the Seattle Supersonics years yes you'll see some number two picks scattered across that board but in terms of thunder reigns you've never seen them this high at pick number two and that means these stakes are going to be high for them to nail this one in you look at this team, you already have that base with SGA and Josh Giddy. That's who you're trying to build off of. Other complementary players such as Lou Dort and Trey Mann look to be in the long-term picture. And you even collected some nice role players potentially in guys such as Jeremiah Robinson, Earl Darius Baisley. And you got guys like Alexei Pokushevsky who could very well turn into something. Just a lot of potential on this board and a lot of young pieces for this team 19 future first round picks on tap so they can make some movement but don't expect them to move with pick number two here we already have that clear-cut consensus we've seen on all the specials it's supposed to be Jabari Smith one Chet Holmgren two and Paulo Banquero at pick number three with Ivy potentially going forward to Sacramento you still have to look at everybody though and kind of weigh the potential options that this top of the board could go because let's say Chet is the guy for the Thunder. If the Magic just smoke screened and took Chet number one, well, now you're left with an entirely different landscape. So it's good to look at all four of these guys. If you want more in-depth scouting reports on the top three names here, I have individual pods from a couple weeks ago on them about 45 to an hour long on those, so that will give you the ins and outs on the scouting reports. But I really just want to touch up on them as players and then how they would fit with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And you're going to start out with Jabari Smith, expected to go number one in tonight's draft. He's been regarded as the top prospect basically since the lottery reveal. I'd say prior to that point, Holmgren was the number one selection, but once you saw the ping pong balls unrattle, you saw Jabari Smith be that number one pick, and we really haven't seen that wane whatsoever. Averaged about 17 points and seven boards with Auburn this year. 
The big selling point is that shot, 42% from downtown, great measurables to go along with it, and that's kind of the, the perfect storm, I guess. 220 pounds, 6'10", with a 7'1 wingspan, that is great length for someone shooting 42% from three, and his release is beautiful. When you are talking players in draft classes, let's just say last like three, four draft classes, front court shooters, he might be the purest in terms of his shot form and, and how he might be able to translate. Limitless range with this guy. You're talking catch and shoot situations. He should be one of your top candidates as a trailer, deadly. If you're not guarding him, once he crosses the timeline with the ball, he very well could pop it and he could make you pay. Hallmarked. Two dribble pull up. Lethal when he gets into the mid range and he skies up there. Just because he's so tall, it's very hard to contest him. And that leads to him draining some buckets right in front of you. So he is that sharpshooter that you are looking to really build your team with as one of your franchise cornerstones. And if you already have a very good ball handler, such as SGA or Josh Giddy, it's going to make their life a lot easier because they live off of this um, you know, on-ball play with SGA and Giddy. Whereas Jabari, he's more of that off-ball guy. He likes having the open shots made. But also, he's able to cut inside of the basket and score. A lot of it, though, uh, and what has kind of stifled him a bit is the on-ball ability. Will he have a tighter handle? Will he be able to you know, go up and do a size-up combo to get to his spots? Right now, he's kind of a point A to point B guy, and it really hasn't mattered just because the sheer length and talent that he possesses. But if he wants to really expand and reach that ceiling, he probably needs to work a little bit more on ball. And I'm sure in Oklahoma City or anywhere he goes, that's going to be part of that regimen. They want to build that up you know, if he's a top one, two pick in this draft class, but just that ability to pop it from everywhere, but also pull up right in your face is big time. You know, when you look at playoff games and let's break down the finals, Jason Tatum, he was he the best shooter in the finals? No. However, a lot of his shots in late game possessions or late shot clock possessions were mid range pull-ups where he's trying to pop it right over the defender. You need one of those players where they can bail you out in those situations. Jabari Smith is most definitely one of them and how he's able to operate uh, right above the free throw line. So that gives you that power punch on the offensive side of the basketball. But defensively, he's very versatile. 6'10", 7'1", wingspan, 220, able to move around the floor gracefully. Covers ground at a good rate, and he's able to guard 2-4, through I'd say, with not too many hiccups, able to stay in front of his defenders, and he's able to absorb contact as well when opponents are trying to kind of engage with him. He had a little bit over two fouls per game this year, which uh, the way that I view that, that's pretty good considering he played almost 29 minutes per game. I think that, you know, just outside of guarding multiple different positions, you need to look at him in one-on-one situations. He's really good in defending a ball handler. He's trying to, you know, get you off your game, start swiping at you, make you have that air uh, to, you know, drain the shot clock or just make that possession a wasted one. And if he gets the ball jarred, he's going to jump on top of it, try to, uh, you know, toss that the other way. Amazing stance with Jabari Smith, basically textbook here. Significant bend of the knees, keeping track of his defenders, and you rarely see him cross his feet, so he does a really good job with his hips. 
and how he's able to defend. In terms of pick-and-roll defense, you need to have a premier pick-and-roll defender. Jabari Smith is that. He's able to really play in all coverages. Because of his size and speed, he can guard frontcourt or backcourt guys in stints in these situations. Really good coast-to-coast player. You know, this is primarily because he doesn't need to break out the dribble moves. Um, But because he has those long strides, he's able to go up and score for himself or kick it out for an easy little pass there. Need to work on the isolation play, and I think playmaking in general might be his biggest uh, point that he needs to work on. Maybe finishing dexterity too, but the overall consensus is that you know he is a very special talent as you know your secondary guy. Maybe overall shooting ability is hard to come by. He has absolutely aced this part of his game, and the floor with him is going to be extremely high. I think that's what separates him from someone like Chet and for a team like the Magic. If they're looking to make that push uh, and, and you're trying to make that pitch to your owners, it's going to be a lot easier to pitch on a guy like Jabari Smith than it is Chet Holmgren, who we don't even know if the medicals have been released to every team. Has it been released to the Thunder? Has it been released to the Magic? With Jabari, there's no real woes there it sounds like and I think in terms of the floor like I said it's going to be a very good player that that's going to be starting just solely based off of the shot and defense so a very good 3 and D player obviously if he's hitting that ceiling you're talking about an all-star who is going to be able to contribute in high stakes situations so that's what you get from Jabari I think you know when you're looking at um, team fit it's perfect just based on the off-ball play and and the spacing issues OKC has just been completely throttled with the last two seasons Chet Holmgren is another guy too where he can fix up a bit in the shooting department OKC has not had a real center for a while here I think Steven Adams was the last like long-term center you could say everyone else has kind of been short stints or they're brought on to be traded just a couple months later aka Al Horford Uh, with Holmgren you definitely would not be doing that seven feet tall with a seven foot three wingspan excuse me seven five wingspan and he's 195 pounds so he hasn't cracked 200 yet but very big as a prospect almost average a double double Dropped 14 and 9.9 rebounds with Gonzaga. Best rim protector in this draft class. Just the way he's able to navigate. You know, he's he's slender, but he's able to cover ground, which is the important part. And, you know, he's swatting shots at ranges that you, you don't find with anybody else in this draft class. You know, if he gets burnt by somebody off a pick and roll or off a slip, you still can see him sneak back into play, get a chase down block. Same goes with a guard if they turn the corner on him. So you always have to be on edge if Holmgren is your matchup, regardless, one through five. Even on perimeter shots, he's able to step up, close out, and you know make a reasonable contest, get on the other end, and play in transition. So he's very scary there. You might think because he is 195 pounds, you can play straight bully ball. Did not really work like that. He's really good at recovering there where you might be able to brute force your way to get a step or two on Chet, but as soon as you elevate for a shot, he's going to close the distance and make it a very hard time for you to you know get a clean shot on that release. I think that um, 
you know that that's really what he's going to build upon when you're talking the the accolades you might find Holmgren would be in the conversation as a defensive player most definitely but also on the offensive end he's able to be a high level level contributor pretty good finisher I would say with either hand shot 80% in the paint this year so he was a monster and a lot of his shots just came off of entry passes you know sneaking inside going up with a a little hook if you will and even in terms of open lane situations, he's not afraid to go up, take contact on driving layups, sometimes even going up for dunks and elevating in plays where you just don't understand how it happened. And it's because he's able to build up that speed in the downhill situations. Might be one of my favorite transition players in this draft class and really that we've seen in a, a good amount of time here because... He's able to get the basketball once he crosses that timeline. You know, he can shoot it uh, atop the key because a lot of defenses like to sag off. They like to test him. He's going to burn you if you play up. Then he's going to try to sneak inside, get the basket. Very smooth finisher as well. So you like the way he plays defensively, um, even as a pick-and-roll defender. I think because of his, you know, more nimble status, he's able to cover anywhere he needs in brief segments of time Um, but you know he's a good finisher and I think one thing that's going to amplify especially if he's selected by the Thunder is his uh, game off of a high ball screen because not only can he roll at an effective rate but he's a very good popper as well Uh, he shot 39% from distance last season and I don't expect that to drop significantly. I think that maybe he could be a 35%, 36% shooter, but he'd still be pretty good for the center position. That'd be an upgrade, definitely, for the Thunder. If he's staying up at 38 39%, that is golden for him. He wasn't just taking shots off the catch. He was creating for himself. He was being that trailer. He was coming off DHO, stagger screens, to create for himself, and that is a big part of his game and in terms of his potential why I think he is so much higher than any other prospect in this draft class going into some of the other areas you've seen him as a playmaker sometimes he'll go through the lane and throw a pass no one even knew was possible um and it's impressive because he he doesn't handle the ball or he didn't handle the ball that often in the half court situation with Gonzaga but if he saw someone open at the wing, sometimes he'd end up hitting them, and no one knew that um, he had eyes in the back of his head because that's the kind of passes we're talking about. As a ball handler, he does have a really good coast-to-coast play with a moving cross and a behind the back. Uh, not a half-court type of ball handler right now. A little bit of a loose dribble, and that's something that obviously he would want to adjust on. Another thing is release speed. I think this is more of a nitpick just because he is so tall. The point of release is solid. It's hard to contest, but on closeouts, they are going to be a lot harder at the NBA level. And I think because you're playing better, maybe small ball fives, they're going to be okay with not, you know, completely giving up top of the key triples. They're going to play up if you're going to be the transition guy, and they're going to try to stifle you when you try making a move to the basket. So with Chet... Very talented as a player when you're talking about overall fit with his franchise. Once again, like a glove, they've needed a center for years and years. Not only is he a shooter, but he is a potential-filled prospect for this organization. I want to talk about Paulo and Jaden in one second here, but first, 
I'll let you all know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Although the NBA Finals action has concluded, there's still always offers going on at DraftKings Sportsbook. And for you hockey fans, if you're out there, there's a deal for the Stanley Cup, and it is out on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Guys, if there's like a a little break in my voice, it's because for the last about 45 minutes to an hour, we have had live betting craziness. It's like the most volatile market, like betting market I've seen on the number one pick really ever since I've I paid attention to it, which makes it ever. Um, there's been, I guess, a development that... Now, Paulo, across all different betting sites, is the consensus favorite for number one. I don't know how uh, that quick change happened, but it happened. Right now, it is two in the morning, and Paulo is the favorite. So you guys might listen to this. It might be back to normal, but complete shift. We're going to have to break down what that means. Um, I mean, I guess you could chalk it up as, you know, maybe rumblings of of Oklahoma City maybe being interested in Paulo the magic maybe straight up want Paulo or it's it could be either I think the magic could sneakily control some leverage here particularly for Houston I think for the Thunder at number two they have a bit of a, a cushion maybe Chet is their guy but it looks like it didn't turn that way at all um, unless it's a crazy blindside it looks like Chet would be there at two, which is um, what has sounded like the Thunder's pick all along. We'll have to see on that. But what a crazy turn of events we've seen in the last hour. I'm going to get into Paulo right now, actually, as a player. As you guys know, on my original chat on him, I think it was a little over an hour I did my scouting report. I'm very high on Paulo. Amazing ball handling skills. I think he can, you know, help be that secondary ball handler or a lead ball handler in stints, take you one on one. You know, at 6'9, 250 pounds, he's already NBA ready at 19 years old from like a, a frame standpoint. And he has a seven foot one wingspan. Looked dominant with Duke, averaged 17.2 points, 7.8 rebounds, shot 34% from distance as well. You know, those numbers you got to read into a little bit, but he looked really good from really all facets of the floor. In terms of mid-range creation, 
I think that was one of the parts that was amplified because of how good he is at handling the basketball. If you're talking, you know, size up combinations going into drives, Paulo has that in his bag. He's able to stop and pop on you. And with a lot of defenders, they were backpedaling, expecting Paulo to drive. Instead, he just pops in the mid range and is able to convert in that area. So it's 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 big time. I mean, what else can you say about that? And even when he's not stopping and popping. If he gets the basketball in the mid-range area, he still is a threat without moving because he can just jab step over and over again. It's such an effective move in his arsenal. And, you know, if someone is committing to contesting that shot, then he can just drive right by you and get a pretty good shot at the cup. So, you know, it's a very nice asset to have in his bag um, because not only is he a great you know, mover when he, you know, he's put the ball on the deck, but as soon as he grabs the ball, you know, he doesn't need to start his first dribble to get the defender off guard. And that's a very elite uh, kind of set to have in your arsenal. Same goes for just attacking the rim. I think he's really good with basically either hand. And um, I, I think he's a lot more meticulous when it comes to going up for some of these shot attempts. He controls the pace of play. You know, he'll you know slow down on his last step before going up for a shot. Sometimes he's going to go at you, try to absorb contact for a foul. But he's a very smart and safe slasher when he goes right to the basket. And uh, I think that is obviously something that's going to carry over. He's a very good finisher in the mid-range. He's polished. Comes down to that three ball. But, you know, as soon as you're talking the mid-range and the interior, he's got it down. In terms of operating in the pick-and-roll, we saw him dominate off of high ball screens. Mark Williams was a recipient of plenty of dishes from Bancaro just off of cutting inside because he's getting a lot of pressure off that initial screen. He's good at evaluating the court, and that's going to lead to, obviously, some good looks. And at a power forward, for a power forward to be doing this is very special. Not just that, but in general. He's a crafty passer where, you know, he's able to kick it out to places that you just would not really imagine. And not just the passing game he's been improving on. The isolation game is something he's been working on. This is a type of player that I think can be your secondary guy and could very well be the number one player in this draft class. My big board has Paulo Bancaro as the number one player in this draft class because I really believe in his ability to create for himself. I think that's important. I think team fit also factors into big boards. Obviously, you never know with the draft. Like if you make a big board post draft, I think it'd be a lot more accurate just because it's a lot easier to tell what's going to work and what's not for some of these players. But that's not the name of the game here. I think Paulo in terms of true talent is number 1. The big swing factor obviously comes with the shooting consistency. Finish the season strong, 10 of 20 in March Madness from distance. Prior to that point, though, he was shooting um, not so well. And when you look at the top of the key, this is where someone like Cade Cunningham really made a name for himself last season. He was shooting you know, 40% from the top of the key. Paulo shot 26.9% from the top of the key, 14 of 52 from there. It's not too good, so... Definitely want to ramp up the action. I think that's the most important zone for him to improve on. And then overall on defense, sometimes you saw him kind of zone out and that lead to easy buckets. I think for the most part, though, he's pretty locked in when, you know, he, he's all all toes down, I guess you could call it, on that side of the basketball. And 
sometimes against help defense, decision-making was not great. You kind of start to see tunnel vision kick in. Those are my little concerns and a, a little touch on the basket too could be improved. Overall though, very talented player in Paulo. I think that you're going to get a certified scorer here. And for a team like the Thunder, I don't necessarily know if the fit is you know, perfect per se. However, could you make it work? Absolutely. Especially if he becomes a scorer from distance. You want to have as many ball handlers as possible on your roster. And with OKC, they've already locked down two like ball handling specialists, which I guess could get your hands tied. I think it's a little different. You know, if it was just SGA right now, or if it was just Giddy right now without the other, it wouldn't be a concern. But it just comes down to reps. You want to be able to let Paulo kind of run freely in the offense sometimes, and maybe you'd see a little bit of bumping heads. I don't know if it'd be anything that bad. This guy's going to get you points in a jiffy. You see him as a favorite for rookie of the year, and when you see that, the the question's always, why is he not in consideration past three I know now in hindsight it's stupid because he's literally projected to go number one I think it's probably gonna switch back if I had to guess unless it's like a Markel Fultz type of trade but I would imagine um you know he is gonna be favorite for rookie of the year regardless of draft position and I think moving forward he still can be the number one guy just based on how high of a ceiling he truly has. And Jaden Ivey also has a very high ceiling as well. Explosive athlete around the basket. Mid-air adjustments just come easy to him. But it's not just about how he's able to play an electric role in your offense. He's able to take you one-on-one. He has an extremely tight handle. His first step gets it going and my goodness he is a freak when he is going at top speed it is very hard to handle him and in the open court situations and when he's able to get into a driving lane and he has such a wide array of dribble moves to kind of set himself open as well showed a knack at hitting three pointers this season at Purdue shot 35.6 percent from distance big time upgrade from last year Um, and he was able to really get into his own his jump shot is pretty fluid I think you want to see him, you know, work on step backs. That's what he was really living off of this season. And it's a good thing to have in your arsenal, especially when you are as fast as Ivy. And one of the things with him is deceleration is not great. So having that step back in your bag is going to be a really good utility moving forward into the pros. Chase down artist is something I'd call Ivy as well, just based on how he's able to fly up and, and make some plays. Did he have a ton of blocks in these games? Absolutely not. But if you're a type of player who's able to elevate, get those rejections and close out well, that's a major plus, uh, at least the way that I view him. And in transition, this is when everything kind of comes to a T. Good passer in transition play going to be able to posterize you if you don't get out of the way as well. So that's always a plus, Uh, but just big time. You know, when you're talking the conductor of an offense, he can do that in stints. And I think he can be that star secondary option that's dropping 25, 30 points in some of these games, kind of leading you to the promised land, if you will, in some situations. A lot of his weaknesses kind of come off of 
the tunnel vision aspect of things and just poor quality shots. You'd see him settle in the mid-range a little bit too often, and he didn't have a consistent jump shot in the mid-range either just due to him you know, not always planning the same way and, and deceleration, like I mentioned. Just being able to stop and pop is something that he'll need to work on. But, you know, tunnel vision, that, and then obviously you have other aspects. Screen defense is something that I'm not too overly concerned about, but obviously it's a very pivotal part of the game, so he'll need to tighten up there. Still think he has a very high ceiling and a very high floor. And as I talked about in the last episode, I wouldn't mind sending out a good amount of picks to get Jaden Ivey. Going into the chatter of, you know, who the top talent would be in this draft class, I think it's a different order than the actual fit. Now, it is narrow margins all the way down on this board, and I'm talking razor thin. But the way that I'm viewing this, um, this first section, because when you're talking, you know, talent... I'm kind of going best player available. I'm also going ceiling and just looking at all aspects. I think that Paulo is number one because the floor is still very high for him. He's going to be dominant in terms of the glass, still athletic as a player, and driving to the basket with his handle is going to be big time even without a consistent three ball. So I'm still confident that he's going to develop that shot and he's going to be a very good player. So it really doesn't matter to me, but that I have him at number one. When you get down to two, three, and four, this is where you know you're pulling your hairs out. I'm gonna put Jaden Ivy at number two, and the reason I am is because I think with his play style under the correct franchise, he's going to be amplified and he's going to be a really good scorer. The question is, and this is the reason why it's a lot better to do these boards post-draft, is because you get a gauge of where they're landing. If he goes to Sacramento and there's no adjustments made, yeah, it's going to clearly stunt him a little bit in his growth. And I would probably move Chet and Jabari above him um, in in that case. But I think in terms of the game that he possesses and how it moves over, he's number two for me. And then you get to Chet and Jabari. I'll say Chet 3, Jabari 4. With Chet, it's a lot of high ceiling. I think with him, it's not like a a low, low floor. It's still a pretty high floor. Um, But I would say in terms of, you know, confidence. Actually, you know what? I'm pivoting. I'm pivoting. I've convinced myself. I'm putting Chet at 2, and I'm moving Jabari down because I think – Chet's ceiling is higher than what you'd have basically out of anybody in this draft class. That's not a hot take. But I'm going to move him up because I am confident in the rim protection ability. I think the stretch um, element of his game is something that should be still in full effect. It comes down to injuries and if medical records are all good with him. And if, if the medical records are good, he's probably the number two pick to the Thunder, barring anything crazy happens. That's going to leave Jabari Smith at four. I've had him at number one basically this entire draft process. However, I've slid him down. I think with him, it's a lot about being able to become a really good player on the ball. And I'm confident in it. I will say with him, it's much easier to see him 
as the high floor player in this draft class that is very good for a contender for a long time and is going to be able to contribute. Is he going to be the electrifying star every game? I don't know about that. That's why I have him down here. I think it's just his shooting ability is so good. Um, It's really tough to rate everybody here. But I want to pivot to the actual fit rankings with a Thunder because I think it's a lot different than the actual talent evaluation here. Because for the Thunder, I think they very well could go best player available. But on that same token, the way this team is being built, there's an actual blueprint. It's not like a Kings lineup where they have all these different guards and they're continuing to pile up on guards or you know they decide to get Marvin Bagley over Luka, that kind of stuff. With the Thunder, they have the two playmakers, which kind of pushes some players to the wayside, right? I think the number one fit would be Chet. He just plugs in so many different issues. They have been abysmal as a catch-and-shoot team, and they just don't have a center. He patches those two up, and he passes the test with flying colors as a prospect. Jabari Smith is number two because of his shooting ability. I think OKC has needed this shooting threat for a while. And if you put Jabari on this team, this once again goes back to what I said with these Uh, rankings I think it moves him up beyond four because just the fit is so snug with how he'd operate next to SGA and Giddy I think with this franchise too he'd have the reps to play on the ball and mistakes would just be part of the process which is beautiful at three I'm gonna go Paulo and then there's a major break to Jaden Ivy barring any trades happening of course with Paulo it just comes down to play style. They obviously need a four, and he's super-duper talented, but the fit is not as nice as the top two, and I think that's clear as day. With Jaden, same exact situation where clear as day, not as snug of a fit as the top three guys. I'd say if you moved out Lou, then probably so. He just needs to have some foothold on the rotation because of how this team is constructed and because you have... SGA, Giddy, Man, and Lou Dort. It's very hard to put a fifth guy in there with a top pick in the draft. I think that's why I'm more fond of a guy like Jalen Williams who could start in that bench role and maybe work his way up the ranks in due time. That's kind of my breakdown on this list, though, guys. Um, if you guys have any you know, takes on the top of the board, make sure to let me know. I mean, we got draft night approaching us like crazy 6 30 we're gonna have things going in at 8 a.m i have my thunder draft guide going up on si thunder si.com slash thunder guys make sure to check it out Twelve thousand plus words of content there 25 plus scouting profiles vasily michich news and much much more but anyways that's gonna do it for today's episode guys thank you all for listening and i'll talk to you all in the next one See ya.